Hi and welcome back. This is Police Stories Podcast, episode 34. This is a series of short stories about uh, my 28-year career in the UK police force. Um, we've covered a few, quite a few areas, individual jobs and various training and things. And certainly after the last episode, um, we dealt with ARVs and um, a pretty big incident in my career, shots fired. Uh, so you can go back and listen to those in the previous episodes. So today we're going to move on. I'm trying to go sort of sequentially in my career. I may not have got the order absolutely right, but it's it's there or thereabouts. Um, thanks very much for the downloads. Uh, continuing, really, really good couple of weeks. Uh, probably the, the shots fired title perhaps uh, draws a few people in, but it's been really good. Lots of downloads, so thanks for that. Um, so what we're going to talk about today is um, a couple of things. Continuing on really with uh, the ARV stuff, the armed response vehicles, and then on to the sort of next level of my firearms training, which became uh, a bit more specialist. ARVs is already fairly specialist, but um, but the next level is SFO, a specialist firearms officer. So um, you can do all the stuff that sort of ARVs can do, but you're generally trained um, primarily uh, to work in plain clothes, um, armed in plain clothes. It brings all sorts of challenges and uh, there's new tactics to, to learn. Um, in some respects, you know, it's it's a unique role uh, for sure. And being plain clothes obviously gives you the ability to get right up close, you know, um, with people prior to making arrests. Um, but that also increases the danger level because, you know, if you're in a marked car in full uniform, police hat, you know, body armour that says police on it and all the bells and whistles hanging off you, then... You know, it's very obvious what you are. So very few people are able to say, "Oh, I didn't realise it was police." Now, if you're in kind of you know a jeans and a t-shirt walking up to somebody, invariably in terms of uniform, all that we would carry um, would be uh, a, a police ski cap. You know, that would be tucked in the back of your jeans, and basically just prior to doing whatever it was you were doing, you'd whip out your your hat, you know, and stick that on. But you're only talking, you know, a, a police baseball cap. Um, so I think. Yeah, certainly risky from that point of view, you know, and making sure that people recognised you. Um, imagine, you know, you're in a busy high street and you're pulling out a handgun uh, and pointing it at someone, you know, ineffectively in your jeans and T-shirt with your ski cap on. It definitely uh, concerns a few people. And to say, some people could potentially use it as an excuse as to why, you know, they attacked you or shot you or whatever because, you know, they didn't believe you are a police officer for a minute. So, yeah, lots and lots of extra training. But prior to going on to that course, which was another two-week, I think it was well, two to four-week course, but don't forget I'd already done that probably about another six or eight weeks uh, firearms training leading up to this, you know, because it sort of progressively kind of ratchets up the, you know, the intensity and, and the level that you're working at. Uh, and the other thing that once you become a specialist firearms officer, it potentially opens up new doors as well to other even more uh, kind of specialised work. So, for example, um, a sniper, as they used to be called, where they tend to be rifle officers now, snipers, by all accounts, sounds a bit aggressive, you know, in our modern world. But uh, yeah, so you could become a sniper. You could certainly become um, an intervention officer. Now, an intervention officer is very much kind of men in black crashing through the windows on dangly ropes. Um, it's it's the Gucci stuff, if you like, you know, um, but it's entering properties at speed, you know, with the assistance of um, stun grenades. Now, we've talked about that 
um, previously uh, where ARVs have the option of using stun grenades, but it's not kind of their first call. That's a real bad day at the office if, if you're going to that scenario. Whereas intervention officers, you know, um, generally are kind of siege busters, perhaps for want of a better term. They're the ones that are going to go in planned to uh, to end a siege, you know, or to arrest probably the most violent and aggressive people um, that are likely to be in possession of weapons and probably got the ability and the mindset that they're going to use them. Um, Pre-planned operations, you know, and in which case you're very likely to be using stun grenades. But prior to getting to all that, um, I'd been on ARVs now for about two years, maybe a bit more. Um, had quite a few jobs, obviously had the shooting that I was involved in. Um, and during that time on ARVs, when I first went on, uh, we talked about, you know, sort of police driving and police driving permits before. And obviously, again, like like firearms, you know, there's lots of different levels of that. You start off right at the sort of the base level where you can just about drive a marked car, no blue lights or anything. Then there's a kind of step up from that. Well, in between, I did another course, which at the time was called like a grade three course. And that was, a again, a halfway house between your normal blues and twos permit and the advanced course, which is the, the sort of the, the pinnacle, if you like, of police driving, certainly in the UK. And that is the one that traffic officers um, do and ARV officers. Um, very high level, generally a four week course in itself. Um, really, really good course. I'm not massively into my driving or cars. And I didn't personally think I was going to be up to the standard, but I was able to pass it. Um, and and I must admit, you know, when you come off that, that course, you are absolutely at the peak of your driving abilities. Because don't forget, you're driving, you know, sort of the most fast and powerful cars that the police uh, have got. And also, you're being asked to do extras as well. So initially, I went off and did, yeah, this grade three course, which was a sort of a plain car, um, like using a, a plain police car, you know, but one that had um, covert blues on it, you know, so behind grills. And we even had, um, and some people would be rolling their eyes, but, you know, a bit like the old detective things, we had magnetic blue lights that kind of stuck into the, the cigarette lighter and went onto the roof of the car. The only problem was if you went over 100 mile an hour, the wind speed tended to knock them off. So you ended up having this uh, dangly blue light, you know, kind of blowing out behind you, uh, attached to the cigarette lighter, which was quite amusing. But so I did the grade three course. I think that was another week or maybe two as well in between while I was waiting for my advance to come up. And then when the advanced course came up, I did that uh, fantastic course. You know, at the time we were using, I think, Volvo T5s, um, which were about 250 horse, um, handled really well. And um, yeah, fast cars. Again, I think they were limited their top end to, you know, sort of 155, like a lot of the fast cars of the days. But, you know, monstrous acceleration, really good handling, but still quite big cars. And that's important for for ARVs and for um, advanced cars, be it firearms or traffic, because um, the course after that is the TPAC course, the Tactical Pursuit and Containment. And this is all about kind of the basically the bashing of your car into others. You know, there's a lot more to it as well. Um, that supposedly should be a last resort, but quite often it becomes um, used almost in every scenario, depending on what you're trying to do and and who you're trying to stop, you know. So, yeah, advanced course, absolutely loved it, taught some really good stuff, even went over the basics again. And here's a little tip for you. Um, this is a, a basic tip for any police driver, even at the lowest level, but it's something that in your everyday life now you could use and might be useful. So they call it tyres and tarmac. 
And if you're in a line of traffic, so you're stopped at a red light or you're just, you know, um, there's been an accident or it's just, you know, busy traffic because you're in a, in a sort of city. When you bring your car to a halt, when you stop behind the car in front of you, make sure there's enough of a gap that you can see tyres, the rear tyres of the vehicle in front of you, and also a bit of tarmac. It doesn't have to be a lot, but if you can see a bit of tarmac and some tyres of the vehicle that's directly in front of you, uh, that means that if you need to, you'll be able to get out and around it. Now, from a policing point of view, it was useful because the last thing you wanted to be was absolutely nose to tail um, with the, the car in front of you, and then the one behind you's come up really tight, and now you get an emergency call and they're saying, yeah, we want you to come on blue lights. But you're completely and utterly trapped in by traffic. You couldn't get out there you wanted to. So we would always leave tyres and tarmac between us and the car in front. And that would then enable us to uh, get out and around the traffic, you know, and, and still make our way um, with blue lights. From a sort of, from your point of view, from a member of the public point of view, it's useful for several things. Firstly... And these days, unfortunately, we do see a bit of road rage. You know, you've the driver in front of you, you know, perhaps thinks you cut him up, you know, on an overtake and he, he or she might have aggressively sort of overtaken you, you know, to get back in front of you or various things. Um, there could be a number of reasons why. But for whatever reason, if the car in front of you, if the driver in front of you wants to get out and, you know, either remonstrate with you or maybe, worst case scenario, attack you. You know, he's carrying something in the car and he's so hacked off that you've, you know, done a moody overtake or, you know, I don't know, stuck your finger up or something like that. If they get out and you want, want to do something about it physically, then obviously if you are nose to tail again and the car behind you is right up tight behind you, you're not going to get out of there. You know, there might be a scenario um, where you need to. So therefore, once again, leave your tyres and tarmac and that will enable you to sort of pull out and, and get out of the situation. That's probably the more, uh, you know, exciting version. It could just be the car in front of you breaks down, you know, and you need to, to get round it. But of course, if you're absolutely nose to tail, that's not going to happen. So, yeah, there's a good little tip for you. Tyres and tarmac is, uh, doesn't hurt to do it in your, your everyday driving anyway. So we were taught all sorts of things on the advanced course. Um Really, really good course. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, ends in a really high level. Um, and basically on your on your last day on the course, you get assessed to a ridiculously high standard by one of the examiners, one of the police examiners. And you had to achieve a certain score to pass and become an advanced driver. Although I have to say the instructors were very good. And by the time you got to the end of that four weeks, you were pretty much ready. You know, the odd person dropped out. If you really weren't up to it, some people said, look, this just isn't for me. You know, this was fast, fast driving. You know, we were we were doing 140 mile an hour bends. You know, we were doing that sort of speed on overtakes. And without a doubt, you are right on the limit, you know, um, a lot of the time. Uh, being as safe as is possible. But of course, at those sort of speeds, things happen very quickly. So occasionally they did have some some big monster crashes, you know, on those courses, Um but generally, it was it was pretty well run. And uh, yeah, I'm pleased to say I passed the advanced course and came away from it, certainly a much better driver. Um, so then we moved on to the, the TPAC course, the Tactical Pursuit and Containment. And this is a scenario where you have a vehicle, you're behind it, you've stuck your blue lights on, you want that vehicle to stop, you know, um, but they are failing to stop. So it might become a, a sort of an old-fashioned car chase where they're, 
you know, they go racing off and you're basically chasing them. Or it could be that, you know, the person is blind drunk and, you know, he's, or he never, ever uses their mirror and is completely unaware of you behind them. Well, again, you have to get a bit, a bit like firearms. You have to get an authority um, from normally like a duty inspector or someone to carry out a, a TPAC. A TPAC is authorised. And then what happens is you normally need kind of... Um, ideally four police cars but it could be three so you need um three or four you know tpac trained officers and vehicles to come together and then what you're looking at doing effectively is boxing that vehicle in and once you've completely boxed it in you're then going to bring it to a slow and safe stop by everyone breaks basically in the box and it, and, in, and forces them to slow down and stop of course if they're really not going to slow down or stop they will try and ram their way out so this is the time when obviously your cars get damaged um, and, you know, and cops get injured because obviously if they try and hit you hard enough, then you've got a problem. But generally with the way we were trained, it was as safe as it could get. You know, there's risk in everything. It's a risky business for sure. Um, but if, if done correctly, then, you know, it, it should be safe and it should bring it to a safe conclusion. Of course, we've all seen on the cop shows that um, the moment that vehicle stopped, then all the cops are piling out. Windows are getting put in with battens. People are getting dragged out, you know, across uh, car bonnets and things. So, uh, yeah, quite exciting stuff. And I got to put it into practice uh, for real. And we'll talk about that one in a minute. Um, but, yeah, really good course. And we were also taught to use stop sticks or stingers, which is basically a series of hollow spikes on a mat that is uh, rolled or thrown in front of a, a car that's being pursued by the police. So typically, you know, you, there'd be a follow, there'd be a car chase, it'd be coming towards you, you'd get the heads up um, which way it was going. And in fact, some of the times you'd have to kind of hedge your bets and pick where you, you think it was going to end up, you get ahead of it. And then basically you wait, you know, maybe behind a tree or something. Um, and as soon as it's coming along the road, at the last second, you step out or to the edge of the road, uh, throw out your stop sticks or, or your stinger, and then ideally burst the tires of the bad guy's car but then this thing is attached you know to a piece of uh wire or string or whatever it is which you basically pull on as hard as you can to get it out of the way of the sort of pursuing cop cars so the only car that gets stung is is obviously the the one you're chasing doesn't always work unfortunately cop cars do get stung fairly often um and sometimes people see it come in um they realize because the cop cars you know kind of back off a little bit and they they realise what's about to happen, so they're ready for it. And, you know, if you if you time it just wrong, you throw it too early, they see it come in. If you throw it too late, then you sting the, the cop car behind you. And we had a bit of practice at that. Um, so that was that was quite good. Quite dangerous, again, for cops, especially the one that's throwing it. You've got to really make sure you're behind something solid, you know, and, and your car isn't going to cut it. You know, even if you've got a plane car, do not park your car and get behind that because um, if the pursuing car, you know, hits yours that is going to offer you zero protection. You know, you need to be stepping out from behind a brick wall, you know, a solid tree, something like that. You know, it really needs to be good to stop you. But I uh, thoroughly enjoyed TPAC and it was all done on the, the public roads, the training. And in fact, what we did was it was the instructors from our advanced course. So these were, again, the sort of the creme de la creme of police drivers, you know, um, advanced driving instructors, you know, as good as it gets, really, really good drivers. And they would drive a series of basically hot hatches at the time. So quite often we were using like ex-surveillance cars. If you were going to be the, the bandit car, as it was called, 
you'd be driving like a, a Golf GTI or something like that, or you might be the passenger, but it, it would always be the sort of uh, advanced driving instructors would be the drivers of the vehicles. So yeah, for example, Golfs and um, various other hot hatches of the day that we had that were ex-surveillance vehicles. Now they're all a little bit tatty around the edges and they were going to be taken out of police service shortly after that. So they weren't too worried if they got the odd dink on them. And, and on the actual course, we were using sort of, again, very old traffic cars, the oldest ones they had that were going to be auctioned off fairly shortly after we finished with them because they would definitely get a few taps. Um, I say taps, you know, I'm being probably a bit kind there. You know, there'd be some serious damage on some of them. But one of the things that the TPAC instructors made clear is we're doing this on the public roads in front of the public. It must look good. It must look realistic. Um, and we will carry it through to its conclusion. So when and if you actually catch up with the um, instructor, which wasn't a given, you know, and you box them in, they were saying, don't just leave it. Don't just get out and slap him on the back and say, well done, you know, I've got you sort of thing. Make it look real because the public do not want to think that you are, you know, playing around, um, wasting your time. So they're going to do everything they can to get away, not only in their vehicle, but the second they have an opportunity, they'll stop that vehicle, jump out and run. You know, you were expected to chase them, even to the point that you kind of, and it did happen a couple of times, rugby tackle them to the ground and handcuff them, you know, in front of the public and lead them away. Because it wasn't, you know, like I say, we didn't want to make it clear that we were necessarily training. But of course, you have to train on the public roads. There's no good in doing this on um, on an old racetrack or something, which we did a fair bit of training for other stuff on, because it's just, you know, it's not realistic. Um, but what was quite funny was, um, you'd regularly get members of the public getting involved trying to help. You know, they think they'd been helpful, and that was great. But it almost went very wrong one day. Uh, we were on the TPAC course. I was driving. I was the lead car chasing the Golf GTI, and uh, we were making up on him. And this was a, a quite a long dual carriageway, so like a uh, a seventy mile an hour road in the UK, and it had embankments. It had quite steep embankments, sort of built up either side of the road. And we were hammering down this road about, I don't know, 100, 120 mile an hour, something like that. And eventually um, there was a bend. So we got the opportunity to slow the vehicle down. Um, and I was intending to overtake it and get in front of it before the other cars then boxed it in. And we would obviously brake hard and try and bring that speed down. But before I got an opportunity, a scaffold lorry with three pretty big scaffolders coming the other way, uh, saw what was happening and decided they were going to help us. So they slewed across the road in this dual carriageway, which didn't have any sort of fences running down the middle of it, and basically drove straight at the instructor in his Golf GTI, who had to stamp on the brakes and come to a very abrupt um, uh, you know, stop, skidding as he did, because anti-lock brakes weren't really in, or I seem to remember perhaps they weren't working on this vehicle or something. So he did this very long skid down the road, came to a stop just before the scaffold lorry. And of course, his brief was to get out and make it look real. So he cracked the doors and he was off and running. Well, so were the scaffolders. They grabbed a piece of scaffold pole each. And there was these three scaffolders running after the poor instructor down the road, who I'm pretty confident had they caught him, you know, he'd have been in big trouble. So we knew we had to get to this instructor prior to these guys getting to him. Thankfully, you know, they were big old boys. They were built for, you know, carrying scaffold. Uh, poles and not running necessarily so we managed to outrun them and get to the guy the instructor our man before they did and then had to kind of throw him on the floor and, and cuff him up and make it look real and and then thank the guys and you know convince them not to uh 
bashing with the scaffold poles and the, you know we got him and thanks ever so much for your help guys you know you've you've really saved us on this one and now we've got him you know he's he's not going to see the light of day for years we're going to throw away the key you know so but yeah the instructor was quite glad that we got hold of him because if we hadn't then he could have been in all sorts of trouble so that was good fun yeah t-pack course thoroughly enjoyed that um and in fact so we went on to use this for real uh, much to the horror of one of our inspectors. Um, now, we'll talk about this on another episode, but one of the other things I went on then to do was close protection. So um, that's the sort of official name for it. You'll certainly see in private circles, people say, oh, you're a bodyguard and it's it's bodyguards and all this stuff. Well, it's not a term particularly that certainly the police like. Maybe in the States and other countries, it's a term that gets used. But in the UK and, and certainly around the world in a lot of places, it, it's close protection. Um, so the cars we had on the unit I was on had a dual role. They were used for SFOs. So once I'd done my SFO course, you'd end up in. Um, so that that's like I said, probably it was um, it was two weeks or so of extra training. It was different tactics. It was um, a lot of a lot of shooting um, and shooting from all sorts of different sort of weapon carry positions. So we had something called a Swedish harness, which is a bit like a shoulder holster, but you could clip off an MP5, you know, effectively a short um, submachine gun. Um, and that would clip off uh, with a folding stock and fit under your armpit. So with a slightly bulky jacket, all the clothes we had were kind of one or two sizes bigger. Um, with that, with a decent sized jacket on over top of it, I could have an MP5 literally slung under my armpit and running down the side of my body. Um, and with a kind of, you know, like a lumberjack shirt and then a, a padded jacket on top, you would never have known that I had that under there. Um, but because this Swedish harness had a bungee on it, I could basically sort of fling the edge of my jacket back and um, push it forward on this stretchy bungee and, and be in a firing position within seconds. You know, so that was the sort of thing we we practiced really, really regularly. You know, we did loads and loads of far shooting on the courses um a lot of it up close um and then the tactics some of the tactics that we'd use in arvs we enhanced and also there were some new tactics we could do now that we we're in plain clothes so there was there was lots of work but ultimately you end up uh, on an sfo car there was three of us in the car so you'd have the when you this is when you're sort of finished the course now and you're out on on patrol You'd have uh, your team leader, who's a sergeant, sat in the front passenger seat. You'd have your driver, and then you'd have a third person sat behind the driver. And that person's job was to kind of navigate and answer the radio, really. Uh, the team leader would probably be on the phone to the tactical advisor or the silver commander, and they'd be talking about tactics, and he'd be getting the latest update on what was happening and whatever job it was we were going to. And the driver, his or her role was really to drive, you know, because... At a high level, if you're an advanced driver operating, you know, on a flat out blue light run to somewhere, that is taking like 110% of your capacity. You know, you, you are not in a position to be answering questions or phones or, you know, looking at maps, nothing like that at all. So the person behind you becomes, bearing in mind this was the days before kind of sat navs, um, they would be your navigator, they would be the radio operator team leader will be shouting at them speak to the other car tell them to do this we're going there we're going to be first you know sort of shouting instructions at you which you would be passing on the radio you'd also be over the shoulder of the driver going it's the next right you know it's the third exit off this roundabout um so there was there was lots going on and if you're on the way to an armed job 
um, you know, they, they, it would be full on, you know, there would, there would be lots happening. Um, thoroughly enjoyed the SFO work, really good. And as I say, it led on to some other specialisms, which we will, again, will talk about another day. But on this occasion, um, because I was on a fairly, in a fairly small force, if you're in the Met or, you know, Manchester GMP, uh, one of the big sort of, you know, Yorkshire forces, um, you have the option almost certainly of they have a separate team for intervention, close protection, you know, snipers and things like that. But in the in the smaller force I was in, you had to be able to kind of, you know, wear several hats. So we had people that were intervention officers. They were also snipers, you know, uh, and then most of the SFOs went on to train as close protection officers. Um, you needed to be able to do all those things. And it was funny that you could go from one day to kind of your men in black with a respirator, you know, uh, crashing through doors with stun grenades. And then the following day, you would be, you know, sort of um, in the secondary role, perhaps, of looking after one of the royal family, you know, or the prime minister was coming to, you know, open a library or something. And that was you. So you were in your sort of best suit, um, trying to, uh, you know, look the part and also um, keep on top of what, you know, which is quite an involved uh, operation. So the vehicles that we had... Um, had a dual role you know they had to be able to be used in this sort of sfo playing car role but likewise that day the following day could be a backup royal car you know on a on a protection job on a prop job um so they were generally quite smart cars they were well looked after you know we always kept them clean um and they cost a lot of money you know we're talking over 20 years ago now but but these cars were you know sort of fifty thousand pound cars so nowadays that probably equates to you know 75 maybe a hundred thousand pounds worth of car so we would get a new one every now and then obviously and on this particular night shift um we'd come on i was one of the sfos and we'd um the inspector came in said right we've got a new car for you guys tonight i want you to take it out and have a little go of it it was an audi i think it was an a6 if i remember right really really nice car you know absolutely top of the range um and of course we then adapted them because we had to fit things like uh, gun safes into the back that kind of bolted in and then we were, had a, an opportunity to secure our weapons and batten guns and stun grenades and things if they weren't in use generally we carried a, a handgun all the time which by now had gone over to the the glock 17 and um 30 rounds in two 15 round mags on us um but the the sort of the long weapons the mp5s um and the batten guns and things like that were secured in the safe as a general rule um, but we would go out and do you know a normal night shift now we we certainly wouldn't be going out you know um arresting shoplifters and things like on arvs you might have to sometimes because ultimately you know you're a marked car you're a you're a uniform police response uh, to things if needs be you generally wouldn't as an SFO. It did happen occasionally, but not very often, because don't forget, we were in a plane car, you know, we were um, in plane clothes ourselves, and a lot of the time we didn't want to show out, particularly our vehicles, you know, because like I say, you could not afford to have that vehicle be singled out an incident or appear in a photo in the paper, um, only for three days later it to become, you know, the backup car in this Royal convoy or you know something like that or equally being used in a very sneaky maybe intelligence services led operation um you know but yet the local criminals knew that it was a cop car you know so that we generally tried to avoid them anyway we got this audi a6 and uh, the inspector said to us right 
you know, you've got this vehicle, but it's being used on a prop job tomorrow. It's a royal job. You know, take it easy tonight. We need it immaculate. And the last thing you do in the morning when you finish at seven o'clock in the morning or whatever is six o'clock. I want you to have it absolutely immaculate, you know, polished, looking the part and ready to go for the, the protection team that were coming on. So, like, yeah, no problems, boss. We'll, we'll look after it, you know. So off we go and we go out for a night shift in it. And we had a drive around our normal places and there was a few bits and pieces coming and going. Nothing sort of too death defying. And then um, early hours of the morning, about three o'clock in the morning, a traffic car, a plane traffic car, found itself behind a Porsche Boxster in this seaside town. And he ran him through PNC, the police national computer, and it came back as stolen. So they did a few more checks and they confirmed, sure enough, this Porsche Boxster, which was again, you know, a fast car, a lot of money, probably 50, 60 grand worth of car, was stolen. And this, this plain, unmarked traffic car is behind it. So he had a TPAC authorised on it. And he was basically calling all the available sort of TPAC units to him. Now, there isn't a lot of TPAC units out there, especially if you're in a small force. But we managed to put together four cars and we all started making for them, including us. So the plan was he would stay directly behind them and then there, um, we would go behind him and then two more marked traffic cars would come up. And at the given moment when it was decided it was safe, you know, um, the sort of TPAC commander, which was generally the vehicle directly behind it, would call, you know, that the TPAC was on. So that's what happened. We tucked him behind this car. We were second in line. And at the relevant time, uh, he called the strike. So... The plan was that we were going to be the lead car, put the box on. So we went flying past him and, and basically got in front of the Porsche, at which time the other two traffic cars came up either side of him and boxed him in. And we stamped on the brakes, you know, and started to bring the speed down. It was only then about 50 mile an hour and it had given no indication that he was aware police was behind him. Um, so, yeah, brakes hard. The box was on. It was nice and tight. So that was good. Um, and then we got down to about, I suppose, 20 or 30 miles an hour, roughly, something like that, at which point the driver of the Porsche, the stolen Porsche, suddenly woke up and realised what was happening, and he basically floored it, and he floored it out past us, or he tried to overtake us on the right-hand side and get past us, but my power was sitting in front of me, saw it coming, and basically, um, exactly as the sort of textbook says on TPAC, as he came out, he gave him a little tap with our front end on the back of the Porsche. Um, and what happened was exactly the desired effect. The Porsche um, by now was going quite quickly and the force of us hitting him uh, basically span his car. And he did about three or four neat pirouettes in front of us, full circles, and ended up uh, coming to a halt but facing us. So we immediately got the box back on as best we could. Although by now it was a little bit raggedy, as you can imagine, because there's sort of cars everywhere and he's facing the wrong way and, and what have you. And we did our best to box him in. Unfortunately, this guy was going crazy and he proceeded to go forward and backward down the side of our car. I half thought about getting out and I got hold of the door handle, started to open the door. But the team leader was screaming at me, you know, do not get out of this car because he literally was just soaring up and down Um the side of our car with his car back and forward trying to bash his way out of our box but um which he eventually did unfortunately because the other traffic cars couldn't get up to support us in time because it's now in disarray and he managed to initially get away although we then caught him around the corner needless to say uh he was well and truly arrested 
the Porsche was in a, a sorry state and had quite a lot of damage. And when we got out and looked at the side of our car, but it was just on one side, it was absolutely trashed. I mean, this thing had been a police car, a 75 grand police car for, you know, <laughs> about six hours. And we'd nigh on destroyed it on one side. And of course, it was needed for this royal job the next day. So we limped back to the office and we got back um, just about as the inspector arrived on for the morning shift. So this was around about seven in the morning. And as we drove up to the office, he was standing on the back door and he was standing on the side of the of the car that didn't have any damage. So he uh, he came out and the team leader rolled down the window and he said, oh, how'd you find the car? You know, and the team leader was like, yeah, it was all right, boss. Yeah, it's um. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to use it today, though, you know, and he was kind of like, why? What's wrong with it? You know, and he said, oh, you might want to see the other side. So the look on the inspector's face when he walked around <laughs> the side of this car to find the damage and this thing was trashed. I mean, every panel on the offside, the, the right hand side, if you're sat in the driver's seat, was it was absolutely destroyed, you know, and we actually it didn't get written off in the end because it was brand new, but they had to replace every single panel. And I think they even had to do some sort of jig work on the chassis because it, it had a right good bashing but um to be honest with you we thoroughly enjoyed our night you know and it was at the end of the day it's just a tool and it you know it's just a police car um we can get another one but um yeah we got the bad guy but the inspector yeah we were not in his good books and uh you know but but there we go so just a little insight then into a few of the driving courses and sfo training and uh, we'll move on next week into a few of the SFO jobs that we got into. Uh, some really good stuff. I think you'll enjoy it. Thanks very much for listening. Appreciate you coming back. Uh, or, or hi, if this is your first time, and hopefully we'll keep coming back. I'll speak to you soon then. Take it easy. Cheers, bye.